Guy Adami. This is On The Tape, joined as always by my dear friends Dan Nathan and Danny Moses. Today we're going to be talking pears. Pears. Remember, if you remember, you're the Godfather fans out there, you remember in Godfather 2, I can see Dan rolling his eyes already. But you remember Don Corleone comes home, it's a young Don Corleone, it's Robert De Niro, he comes home and his wife says, what a nice pear. And every time I see or hear the word pear, I think of that scene. Anyhow, we're going to be talking about pairs and tech earnings, CEO pay, and we're going to look back on Tesla and their Bitcoin EV credit. Ready for this word? It's an Irish word, I think. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just sounds Irish to me. Anyway, there's a lot going on here. Let's take a run at these things. The first one, Apple versus Spotify. I know you got some views on this, Dan Nathan. Give it to me, brother. Well, it's funny. You know, we had this week where most of the FMAGA, the entire FMAGA complex reported. That's the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon here. And there was a lot of themes, I think, that came out of these earnings. And I think the point that you make about the pairs, I think it's very important to remember that that pair that Michael brought home, okay, he was given to that by a street vendor. He wanted to pay for it, but Michael was being shown respect guy, right? Isn't that it? Because he was starting well, to kind of it flex wasn't in Michael, the neighborhood a little it bit. It was young Don Corley. It was Vito, Vito. Corley. Young Vito, and, that's you know, correct. He, you know, he was a man of standing. So what he a nice a pair. It's a great scene, great scene in their apartment. I know Danny Moses. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, so some of these pairs, I think, are pretty interesting because you saw those major tech companies really flexing. I mean, the results across the board, even for Microsoft, which sold off after their earnings, were just astounding here. But it also highlighted that just how they're able to just dominate the moats that they have. And then while Apple put up these massive numbers, Spotify's numbers were disappointing. The stock sold off 10, 15%, that sort of thing. So it's becoming clearer and clearer that these companies have the ability to kind of do what they want with some of their upstart competitors here a little bit. And I think that that's going to be a theme that really may highlight some of the regulatory action that we think has been brewing under the surface in Washington. You know, I looked at the Apple report, Dan, and I say, this is a remarkable quarter. And we talked about it on Fast Money during the week where they came out and they beat on every single metric conceivable. You know, if you look at it, their services revenue now as a percentage of overall revenue is now 19%. It's been sort of holding steady at 19%. If you want to nitpick, I think the market was looking for something in the low 20s, but that's fine. But then I said the other night on the show, listen, if Apple can't make a new all-time high, which was north of 145 I believe that we saw back on January 26th on this earnings release. I don't know when it's going to happen. So great release, great earnings. But then you say to yourself, listen, if they're going to earn $6 a share or so this year, which is reasonable. You're talking about a company that's trading about 23 times. Not cheap. Not cheap by any stretch north of the market multiple. And the price action is sort of backing that up. So if you can't make an all-time high on what should be a catalyst, then you have to be concerned. Spotify, on the other hand, I think it's interesting. Raised at Pivotal Research, I think $340 price target. I understand why the market's getting negative on this name and selling it off. But Spotify is a pretty unique property. And oh, by the way, the Joe Rogan thing is probably not helping them. So you know, I try to stay in my lane. Joe Rogan clearly doesn't want to stay in his. Well, the one thing I'll just say that the Apple quarter was almost too good in a way. So if you're mm. an investor and you're saying to yourself, they just added nearly $100 billion to their cash return, they just beat that $77 billion in a quarter. That was the estimate. They came in at $89 billion. So I guess the point is you're thinking about the balance of the year and you're saying, okay, there was probably a pull forward demand. They're seeing the tailwinds of some of the work from home sort of stuff. They saw iPads up 78%. iPads won X growth two years 
years ago or two or three years ago. So they're seeing these resurgence in some of these products. And then the last bit you just mentioned about services, and this goes back to, let's say, the Spotify. They made this big announcement about subscriptions in the podcast, and we know that that is a huge focus for Spotify. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars over the last couple of years acquiring different properties and acquiring content like Joe Rogan's there. And I actually agree with you, Guy. I think they're going to have a huge, huge Joe Rogan problem, not particularly woke. And then the last point I'll just mention is that, you know, the CEO founder of Spotify, this was the big news of the week when his stock was down 15%. He's looking to put together a bid to buy the Premier League team Arsenal. Are we starting to see a little bit of a style shift here? Soccer, by the way, and please don't at me, but soccer sucks. So I know that's going to (laughs) really twerk a lot of people, but I am not a football fan with a U. I'm certainly not a soccer fan. Tweak a lot of people, I I think. Yeah, tweak, twerk, whatever it is. Oh, oh, Danny Moses is here. Hey, what's up? I know you're not a stock jockey and you're too big to be a horse jockey, but you are going to give us a derby pick later in the show. I am. I know you have some views on Apple. You watch sort of from 30,000 feet. What are your thoughts on all this stuff? Well, I wouldn't even compare Apple and uh, Spotify. Obviously, Spotify reminds me of Netflix several years ago when they were trying to figure out what they wanted to be. Overpay maybe for content, overpay for distribution. And then let's see if everything kind of falls in place. I think the market's kind of shifted towards a safety in large number market. And we've seen that with a lot of these large tech companies, which I know we're going to get into more here. But Spotify, are they overpaying for Joe Rogan? Are they overpaying for some of these acquisitions they're making to build out their podcast network? Probably. Is it going to be a total commodity as far as how people move around within the podcast world? Maybe. So I think right now this market is not in the mood to give benefit of the doubt. Apple, there is no doubt of how strong the balance sheet is, how strong the numbers are, how strong, how much momentum they have in so many different areas. And so I don't think there's a comparison of the two as far as a pair goes. So we'll see how this thing plays out. Yeah, I think the competitive thing is the most important one, right? And so when you think about like a company that's a $2 trillion market cap company that's expected to do $300 plus billion in sales, if they want to squish a company like Spotify, they basically can do it. And I think, Danny, your point about acquiring the content, you know, we remember what it was like. Do you remember when Sirius and XM were battling each other in the mid-aughts for content and Sirius did that huge deal for Howard Stern? I think it was like hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And so the whole idea is that you're basically going to use that to acquire customers from different platforms. And once they become hooked, they become hooked and then it's exclusive. So these companies are basically creating some walled gardens, if you will, as it relates to content. And we'll see how that goes. It doesn't seem like that was the promise of the Internet. It's interesting about you mentioned Howard Stern. By the way, I was never a Howard Stern fan. I mean, it was lowest common denominator stuff for me. So I never enjoyed it. But a lot of people did. And he signed a hundred and twenty million dollars. A year contract, 120 a year. And you know what the reason is? Because people stay on and listen. Apparently, the retention rate for his shows is like 22 minutes, where normally it's like eight or nine minutes. Crazy. People love him. But there was an article in the New York Post this week, Dan Nathan, that fricasseed him. That's another Irish term, I believe, and said he is no longer the Howard Stern of the aughts. Is that what you just said before, aughts? Yeah, that's the 2000s. He's a mere shell of him former self, Danny Moses. I don't know if you're ever a stern guy. I know I wasn't. You know, here and there, I'm not in my car a lot in the morning, so I don't listen to him on the, quote, morning drive. I used to like him a lot. I did like his movie back in the day, but I know how he appeals to massive amount of people. He's very entertaining. But I will say this. I mean, you're talking about Apple and Spotify. Cable companies now are struggling because there's so many other ways to watch television, right? So if you want to go Hulu, you can go on 
YouTube. I feel like, you know, I have a Spotify account. I have an iTunes account. I have all these things. At some point, people are going to narrow it down a little bit. So we'll see what happens. And maybe there'll be a lot more M&A in the sector. But there's a lot of choices out there, a way to listen. I don't even know when I put on music what I should use even when I even listen to something anymore. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, though. So we talk about how some of these big behemoths now are just butting head to head. We know that the other one, Facebook and Apple, is just a massive brewing fight here. Tim Cook and Zuckerberg. I think Tim Cook used to be a bit of a mentor to Zuckerberg. But now when you think about the access to the iOS ecosystem, it's over 1.2, I think, billion or maybe even higher installed base right here, I mean, you got to play by their rules and they're flexing on this privacy stuff. And this really hurts the potential for the likes of Google and Facebook, you know, to kind of maximize their kind of tracking and their data and, and ultimately their ad revenue on the iOS platform. So that one is coming to a theater near you. And I think we're just going to all have to get out our popcorn. But when you think about Danny, what you said, you don't know where to go. So we've seen this great unbundling, right? And that's what's going on as far as over the top in the cable industry, that sort of thing. I I suspect you're going to see Netflix, okay, have to make a horizontal acquisition. And I thought for years that they should have bought Spotify. And you think about it, they're both recurring revenue models. They're not ad supported one way or another. And I would want to kind of go horizontally here. And when you think about Spotify and some of the things we just talked about as they're doing in more scripted content as it relates to the podcasting ecosystem, that fits really well with what Netflix has done in the last year where they really saw a backup in some of the scripted drama and that sort of thing that documentaries killed on Netflix. Guy, you watch a lot of boring documentaries, don't you? Please. You know, I watch the 30 for 30 things and so yeah. I do watch some. I, before I ask Danny Moses a question, because I have a question for Danny Moses, Dan Nathan, I want to ask you yeah. a question since you brought it up. When do you believe that on the tape will supplant OTT, you know, OTT on the tape as opposed to over <laughs> the top? When does on the tape take the reins from over the top, please. Listen, I think we're getting great feedback for what we're doing here on uh, on the tape. Danny's going to introduce a new segment. We're going to, no, you know, he's we're, not. yeah, and it's got its own little acronym towards the end of this thing. So stick around, people. Oh, I but I think that. the I think the OTT and the financial markets universe is going to take it by storm in the not so distant future. So, Danny, I got a question for you now that I asked Dan a question. I asked you a question. That's called equity in this world. Being equitable is very important. So, my question to you is. We talk about the broader market, you and I. Listen, I know both of us sort of look through the same lens. We're half empty guys, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. But my question to you is, can Apple and the lackluster performance, can that bleed over into the broader market? And can this Apple release be a short-term top for the broader market? Do you look at things like that? Oh, listen, I think law of large numbers. How many more quarters can they put up like this? As it relates to Facebook, I think Apple is more widely accepted politically speaking, so it's a, quote, safer place to hide, obviously, I think, than Facebook is, and it has massive global appeal. I think that people want to stay invested in the market, and Apple's a safe way to do it. But is a safe investment at these multiples? And Apple's not overly expensive. I don't know where it's trading at the moment based upon where numbers are going to be going here. It's not crazy expensive. It's okay. Is it sexy? It's okay. But it's really, these companies are turning in, and we've talked about this before, a lot of these large tech companies are turning into your modern-day CPG defensive names. And so what multiple do you end up putting on that? You know what? You're sexy, Danny Moses. And I'm telling you, <laughs> I'll tell you the multiple. It's trading at 23 times this year's. God only knows what it's trading at next year's. But that, listen, that's what makes markets, Dan Nathan. 
Yeah, so I do think it's interesting that a lot of the conversation over, I think it was like 2019 and 20, was about this oncoming regulation of some of these massive platforms, right? And it's really interesting that there really hasn't been much on that front, but yet we're seeing it in China. We're seeing the Chinese government flex in a massive way. Obviously, the stuff that's going on with Alibaba, there seems to be like a news headline every way. It really seems like they're trying to get the great firewall under control here, which actually only strengthens the ability to kind of keep out U.S. companies. And I know that's one of the things that a big part of the trade war over the last few years is about U.S. corporate access to their market. So it seems like this has not gone away. It's only going to get bigger. And then it'll be really interesting to see if the U.S. tries to regulate our companies, does that injure their ability to kind of grow externally? So that could be a risk to these multiples. People used to discount. Apple used to trade it like 12, 13 times. Guy, you said it all the time. It wasn't really deemed to be a growth company, despite the fact they were taking 85% of the margin in the smartphone business over the last 10 years or so. So the fact that they started to grow their install base again, and now they have services at a higher margin. I mean, that's why people are justifying it at these multiples. Um, And then, you know, Guy, you mentioned this all the time, not a fan of Facebook or any of their products. That is the cheapest of the FMAGA complex. And you think about the way they are growing their earnings and sales in mid 20% expected this year, trading at that, you know, on a PE to grow. That's pretty reasonable, Danny Moses. I just think taking a step back, F MAGA, F them, F everybody. Yeah. But we're really starting to get in a, you know, it's already in the crosshairs of Washington, right? Just on the size of these companies. And it's getting worse and worse in the sense of these companies making up the majority of the investment returns of the broad markets. And you effectively own five or six names. I don't know what the current market caps add up to as it relates to, we'll talk about Tesla in a bit, which hopefully will be leaving the top seven sometime soon. But Like It is a little scary, both from the investment perspective and I think from the government. And it's just going to create more and more, I think, issues and headwinds for these, the bigger that they get. Careful what you wish for the size of these companies. But I'm not saying break them up by any means at all. These guys, a lot of these companies have done a phenomenal job organically building themselves and the consumers like the product. But there will be some backlash here at some point. So that may be part of this also is like, how big can you really get? But I go back to the law of large numbers. It's hard to move around these names even from here on a percentage basis. I like that. That's, isn't that that's some song, right? Jump around. Was it what, who who sang that song? I know Dan oh Nathan knows God. all this stuff. I, I'm not a never big fan, jump but that, it was a good. Jump all the up, kids used to. Well, down. they do it in the fourth quarter at the football games at Wisconsin. They bounce around, jump whiskey. around. Whiskey. whiskey. We whiskey. call that whiskey. Great yeah. university, by the way. I think one of the most underrated Big Ten schools there is. But I don't listen quickly in terms of Facebook, and I say this all the time. To the extent that you folks that are listening to this podcast don't watch Fast Money, I'll say this. I hate everything about Facebook, everything. I find it a reprehensible company run by reprehensible people. The only thing I like about it (laughs) is the stock. And I got to tell you, the quarter they just put up, EPS was $3.30. The street was looking for $2.35. It was ridiculous. ARPU came out, by the way, average revenue per user. Very good guy. Thank you. $9.26. The street was at $8.39. Everything about it was ridiculous. And I've said it for a while. I can make a very compelling argument that this should be a $400 stock. Oh, magically, we had a bunch of analysts raise their price targets anywhere from 385 to 400 So although I hate the company, I love the stock. And in the battle of the mega complex, Dan Nathan, yeah. 
I like the Facebook, brother. You just called it the management or the founders of Facebook reprehensible. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That's the word I chose to use. Yeah, I've heard you on many occasions talk about the fact that you think that this could fall into some sort of ESG bucket here. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, listen, this is not really meant to be political. I think this is a fact. If you disagree with me, feel free to at me. But Zuckerberg, they have over 3 billion people as daily active users on their platform, okay? In 2016, they let their platform be co-opted by a foreign adversary to interfere in our election and and really interfere in in favor of the candidate that the Russians wanted. Okay, they did this apology tour. Zuckerberg, no one really believed him. And then again, if you think about the lead up to this January 6th deadly insurrection on our capital, this was a domestic terror attack. Again, their tools were used that they they let their platform be co-opted. They did not catch this stuff. And they didn't get serious about this stuff until people died. So to me, I just look at this company and I say, this guy is probably guy. You like to say that the uh, central bankers are the biggest villains of the 21st century or will be looked at as that. Mark Zuckerberg is like a Bond villain, a Mission Impossible villain, uh, and anything else villain you want to throw in there, wrapped up in one. And the public markets, the public investors just give him cover because his stock keeps going up every year and they're a machine. But make no mistake about it. And we all have kids. We all have teenage kids. I think, guys, you're a little older right now. They have made products that are as addictive as tobacco and alcohol and everything else you want to say. And so to me, I don't know, at some point, the chickens have to come home to roost here. I never knew what that meant, chickens come. Did chickens leave? Do they go somewhere and then they have to come home? It's a yeah. dumbest thing. I mean, I, I'm not saying you're dumb. They're like I'm a roof like, over I mean, their head. I mean, come on, guys. Hey, listen, and let me just say this real quick, since yeah. you brought it up as well. ESG, 100%. The the existential risk, in my opinion, to Facebook, the only one is if it falls under the auspices or whatever you want to say, if it finds itself in the crosshairs of ESG investing. By the way, it absolutely should because it's as deadly as carbon monoxide, fossil fuels, and all the things that have found themselves under the auspices or crosshairs of ESG investing, Danny Moses. I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. And by the way, Bond villain, but Daniel Craig... Listen, I know everybody loves Sean Connery. I did as well. But you watch Daniel Craig, and that dude is freaking James Bond, in my opinion. Just saying. Agree. He's got one more in him, I think. By the way, Dan, you went off there a little bit on uh, Facebook. That was a good rant. I can appreciate that. Listen, he's testified (laughs) several times already in front of Congress. I don't think when they set up Facebook, which, by the way, speaking of ESG and how the company was founded, wasn't it originally started at Harvard? based on looks of people and then swiping left and right. Wasn't that how it started with uh, yes. Facebook? Right. It was, so. That's exactly right. You're hun- and it wasn't, apparently it wasn't started, but it's like that, what's that thing, that Napster thing that everybody said one cat started it, but somebody else sort of glommed onto? Same thing with the Facebook. Hey, you know what? But that's, again, good for, good for Mr. Zuckerberg. I just don't think they realized how big they would get across the world and what would happen. But there's so many addictive apps out there. There's so many addictive companies. We talk about Robinhood on this. We talk, and that's the nature of the game. That's what's been going on in Silicon Valley now for 10, 15 years is getting the consumer addicted to your product, getting them to click, getting them to buy. That's just, that's just this next generation of how it's going to be. I don't see that changing anytime soon. 100%. You're not the customer. 
you think you're the customer of Facebook, you ain't the customer. You're the product, folks, just so you understand it. I mean, if you get that, that's fine. But that's just me dropping truth bombs. Yeah, but you know what? I'll just say this is that I think, though, it's one of the things that, you know, you've seen all of these different sort of tech enabled products over the last 10 years move to these recurring revenue models and kind of axing out the, the advertising model. I mean, you see it with Netflix. Netflix has never had ads on there. And so the idea that you make a addictive product, but you're paying a recurring revenue amount, at least you're not the product in that case. You know what I mean? Obviously, you're not being used to sell advertisements. So obviously, their suggestion mechanisms or algorithms, whatever you want to call them, and it's no different than Amazon. I mean, Amazon's trying to do the same thing, right? And getting you to buy more and more stuff here. But I guess the point that I would just make about Facebook is that these social media platforms, they are being used for nefarious purposes. That's the point. You know what I mean? I don't think Amazon, okay, you overspend, you bought too much toilet paper, or you bought some crap that you didn't need because their algos are that good. And you have Prime and Prime makes it so that you buy two or three times more than the average user who doesn't have Amazon Prime. I get all that. My only point is about the Facebook here is that at a certain point, I think it will be revealed that these guys have routinely been doing layering and layering on new products. They copycat things that they see that are working out there. They want you to spend. It's like a bad Black Mirror episode that's just happening in front of our faces. What? A what? All right. All right, moving on. No, I don't on. know. I mean, no, don't move on. You you, you said something. It's I don't know show. what it is. It's a show, what is guy. What is it? It's, it's on Netflix. Is it on and Netflix it's, it, or it's, no? It's like this dystopian, like near future using like technology. That. It's an amazing I love the, You series. know, I love the word dystopia because instead of an I in the disc, they use a Y. I didn't think that's so Well, cool, it's not really right? dystopian, actually. It, it's basically just, uh, and Spencer, our producer, will, he'll probably have to correct me. He's one of these millennials. It's oh. just like well, kind Spencer's of Spencer's a genius, by the way. I'm sure if you think Black Mirror's a good show, I'm sure Spencer watches it. Were you an Ali Frazier guy as a kid? I know I was. And everybody was a Muhammad Ali fan. Everybody loved Ali. As a kid. I Love what are Joe you talking Frazier. about? Guy, you know how old I am. Like, you know, I'm young enough to be your son. So, no, yeah. I was not yeah. an Ali Frazier. The question would be more, was I like a Tyson or a Buster right, Douglas that's, fan? That's, that's, that's uh, not – I mean, I'm talking about the heyday, the golden years of heavyweight boxing coincided yeah, wasn't with born Muhammad yet. Ali and Joe I Frazier. And I bring I it up because yet. they fought three times. And if you remember the first fight, Joe Frazier kicked Ali's ass, actually knocked him down, which doesn't happen often with Muhammad Ali. He won uh, by decision. But then, of course, Muhammad Ali wins the next two fights. The third fight being, of course, the thriller the in Manila. And there you go, Danny. Thank Moses. you, guy. And uh, Muhammad Ali said he was as close to death as he's mm-hmm. ever been. So why do I bring that up? Because the third one in our triumvirate, Dan Nathan, is the Google versus the Netflix. And, you know, I'm a huge Netflix fan. I, how many times have I said that Reed Hastings is one of the greatest CEOs in the world that nobody except CNBC's Fast Money, I twerked Dan, Danny Moses there, talks about. Reed Hastings, stud. Now, the stock has been sort of sideways for a while, but the company's a beast. Google versus Netflix, Dan Nathan, what do you got for me? So what you're really talking about here, Guy, is YouTube versus Netflix. So oh, remember Eddie Murphy? And, and remember, oh. Thank you for correcting my English. That's what you just corrected me. Uh, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. I am talking uh, YouTube versus Netflix. Sorry, please continue. Yeah, no. So so Alphabet, when they reported their quarterly earnings, YouTube is on track to have annual sales equal to that of Netflix. And I think that caught a lot of people's attention here. These are obviously two very different models. YouTube is pushing very hard to do the kind of OTT, but Netflix is, is more on demand, that sort of thing. So that's a battle that's brewing. Again, you know, this is a behemoth battling. You just mentioned that Netflix has gone sideways. We just talked about some of the things I think 
that need to happen here. It would be very interesting if some of this regulatory, some of the remedies that eventually may come is that if these, some of these bigger behemoths have to split up and then you were going to have YouTube battling the likes of a Netflix or a Spotify or some of these sorts of things. That would be very interesting, I think, for public market participants. Danny, would you love to see more of these companies that were kind of bought in as tuck-ins over the last 10, 15 years? You mentioned something about organic growth. I mean, when you look at Facebook and you look at Google, I mean, some of their best performing assets were acquired. And I think that's one of the things that regulators have really keyed on. Yeah. You know, when you make these acquisitions, it's hard to have antitrust thoughts at that point when they're buying something that's so much smaller. But when you realize when they can integrate these things and put them onto their platform, how powerful they actually can be. So you're right. Everyone's been making it. I think that I think we're going to keep seeing that if there's a smaller competitor that's out there for one of these two companies, they're going to go acquire it. Like there's not even a question about it. I think Google YouTube is also hurting cable industry, right? It's also hurting the traditional cable being able, I have all my friends are now watching YouTube as their cable provider, so to speak, because they can get all stop, the, stop, all stop. the channels. No, there's no way that's, that's no, absolutely. This guy, but so guy doesn't know stuff like this, Danny. And, and you know, you've just gotten to know got Hulu. Over the last five, six months, right? They're cutting the cord. They're, they're basically, they're offering all the channels via the interweb guy. You're telling me that all your buddies, you know, from 45 to 55 are, wa- are watching their, whatever the hell they're watching Yankee games on the YouTube or whatever the hell it is on their phones. Horse hockey. Again with the horse Guy, remember, because you still have the antiquated cable box. Do you ever see those things come? There's like a flashing on the bottom. It says, as of September 1st, MSG will no longer be carried on this network if you care to make a claim or respond. You've seen that before, right? These are these negotiations between cable companies and the content. And, And this is what's been going on. So then you had... YouTube and Hulu come in and say, you know what, we'll take it and we'll pay X amount. So up to the highest bidder about who wants to carry what. And it's been changing. And now the cable, you have 500 channels. You watch, well, when Godfather's on, you watch one channel, but you probably watch six channels, seven channels. So it's going a la carte. These guys have taken advantage of it and they they have the connectivity. They have the millennials. They they know what they're doing. and, And this is the next generation media empires that we're seeing. But guy, they're not watching it on their iPhone, on YouTube, and watching ads. Are they watching it? Hold on, don't say it. Hold on, so let me say it. Can I say, oh, are they so watching it on their smart TVs? Correct, correct. See what I did there, so, Danny so, so basically, smart just so you know, I am one of those late 40s people. I have cut the cord. I don't have cable box. I have a smart TV, and now I have a Hulu application. I went right. down to the application store. I purchased this thing. I have a subscription that's probably $60 a month, and it just streams, and therefore, it's got a similar sort of interface that your cable vision or your spectrum or something like that has, and you're watching all the channels like that, right, Danny? They're not watching it on their, their iPhones in bed. Let me just make a comment before we lose all of our listeners to this. Let me just say this about these large tech companies, okay? So it's hard to get alpha, as we say in the game, on any of these companies in general because, one, it's covered by 80 analysts. All the news is kind of out there. These are buy and long-term holds more than likely for anything. To try to trade around them, if they have a good business plan, just buy and hold these things, right? But for our listeners, I don't think we're going to be able to add any type of element of you know, this is a reason to buy it or this is a reason to sell it. I think a lot of it's out there. I don't mean to say that what we're saying is not valid. I'm saying let's start moving on to other things right now and, and get people engaged here because all these points are great. 
right? And I think these companies are obviously behemoths and we need to know what's going on. And I think these points are great, but let's try to make our viewers some money here. No, I'm trying. Here. All right. You want me to put on my fast money hat there, Danny? Oh, Moses? I love it. You clearly love fast money. Me. Yeah, so go I'm, ahead. I'm going to give it to you right now. Yeah. First of all, Ruth Porat is the genius behind the Google, number one. Number two, I get the YouTube thing. They did about $6 billion in revenue this quarter. It's ridiculous. And look at their EPS. I mean, it was mind-blowing, the EPS beat that they had. They're going to earn anywhere from 90 to $105 a share. They deserve a 30 multiple. You know why they deserve that 30 multiple? Because they have the biggest and deepest moat out of the F-Mega complex that Dan Nathan coined two years ago. Do that math. 100 times 30, it's 3,000. And that's where the freaking stock is going. I'll make some money for you right there. 3,000 is the right price target for the Google. Anyway, so there you go, Demo. By the way... Ruth Porat was at Morgan Stanley. Do you remember? During yeah, the financial crisis. Okay. So the, yeah. that that's quite a change of scenery that she's been able to pull off here and probably done a great job at Google. But that's a crazy transition, in my opinion, from the depths of the global financial crisis to CFO of Google. So that that tells you something about where the markets kind of moved with her at the same time into the into the sector. I agree with that, by the way. And, and listen, it's not coincidence that the stock was languishing for a long time before she got there. She became the adult in the room and it's transformed that company, Dan Nathan. And Dan, I know you got some thoughts on this. This What do they call that company? Fastly, which is a dumb na- It's a dumb name. It's well, dumb. No, but and I so, think there's so, a so B here, at the end of that. We've spent the last few minutes talking about some of these consumer companies that won the pandemic, if you will. And we know that there was obviously some enterprise companies that also did very well that enabled work from home, that sort of thing. So Zoom, Fastly, these were two that Zoom, as far as the user interface or the operability to do you know, virtual meetings and Fastly, a, a company that does works in the background of doing compression, a whole host of other things that making it possible for this new influx of activity. And I just think it's interesting when you think about some of these enterprise names, they're not doing particularly well in the markets right now. You know, Zoom made a high just under $600 four or five months ago, um, and it's languishing at like 320 or something like that. It feels like it's literally one quarter away from just kind of falling out of bed. The same thing with a Fastly. So this is where these companies come up against some difficult comparisons where not expected to have the sorts of results that they had in the back half of 2020. And now they're trading at ridiculous multiples and they're not going to be able to kind of grow into those multiples. So I think that's a, a really interesting thing, especially when you consider the fact that some of the very big names that we were just talking about, the Spotify's and the Netflix on the consumer side have also been flatlining. So to me, just to kind of put a bow in this whole conversation is that I think the move in Amazon, the move into Amazon, it was a rotation, right? Into Amazon, into Apple, into Microsoft, into Alphabet, into Facebook over the last few months was really defensive in a way. It was defensive for all the reasons that we just talked about with remotes, that sort of thing. And then under the hood, you saw a lot of high valuation, high growth tech that's going to be faced with some very difficult comparisons doing very poorly. So they've really kind of helped the broad markets levitate a little bit. And that's also happened at the same time where the Russell 2000 small caps, which were meant to be big beneficiaries of stimulus, of a reopening trade, of infrastructure, of just inflation in general, right? They've really gone sideways here. So there's something 
something going on here. And I think that the macro level, I know I'm going to get guy triggered by saying this here. Maybe we got the sell in May and go oh, away happening here. Because the S&P 500 has gone up like basically 10% in a straight line. It's getting uh, extremely overbought here. And there's a bunch of stuff under the hood, especially as your rates guy are, are maybe starting to catch a bit a little bit with a 10 Ain't just my rates. It's Demo's rates as well. And, and before Demo. we go on to a Danny diatribe, which we have a name for, by the way, and he's all oh, geeked up for this thing. Just let me right. say one thing. You know what the cheapest thing there is to do out there? Pay attention. <laughs> Pay attention. Cost you nothing. You're saying to yourself, why are you, why are you saying that now? And I'll tell you why I'm saying it, Dan Nathan, because in October, in October of 2020, Fastly went from 125 to 63 in a straight line. And you brought it up and you said how important that was. Despite it not being an important stock, it told an important story. And then it rallied back to 111. And here we are at 65. You want me to help people make money again, Demo? I will. This sucker breaks 63 and a half. Get out of the way because the game is over. Again, 63 and a half, maybe a trade from the long side. We'll be right back after this quick break. So now we want to do something. We do this. What do we do? The thing when we bring in guests, we call it off the tape, right? Off the tape makes a lot of sense. It does make sense. I think you came up with that too. <laughs> well, we're going to rip off the tape now, which I totally dig. You know, when you rip off the tape, we have to play sports when you had the, you know, you taped your ankles, you had to rip it off. By the way, the acronym for that is ROT. Oh, well, there you go. Well, well, then ROT our ass right now, Danny. Go help oh, us out. Geez. I got two things. One is I just want to, rip off the tape for a second on Tesla's quarter just to close the loop on kind of the preview that we gave, which I think was pretty spot on in terms of what they would do. They'd play around with Bitcoin gains, which they did. They'd play around with EV credits, which they did. And yes, they show a net number that, quote, beats the street, right? But you peel it back, they would have lost money. They had 518 million in regulatory credits. That's the EV credits. They had $101 million in Bitcoin gains, and they reported a $438 million gain. Do the math. They lost money once again. Then the 10Q came out, and I always tell the listeners, read your Qs and Ks. You're the one to go through something and figure out what's going on. They also had a change in accounting for how they deal with interest costs, which boosted another, I don't know, several million dollars, tens of millions of dollars boost there. And again, the biggest thing, though, to happen in the week was this crash in Texas, tragic crash that killed two people in a Tesla. The next day, Tesla comes out on a PR campaign and says that, Autopilot wasn't on. It wasn't engaged. They just came out quickly and did that. Well, guess what? It came out yesterday that it was engaged. There's theories out there that Tesla promoted that maybe there was a third driver in that car because the steering wheel was bent and he must have crashed and then run. I mean, it's really nuts what's going on from a PR perspective. So I know the stocks traded off since the quarter. Again, I do have puts. They're longer dated and they're lower the strike strikes than this. But this is something that feels like it's breaking down a little bit. And when you see the it's easy to see what's going to happen here in the future. Competition's coming, and he knows it. Bitcoin, you want to invest in Tesla because of Bitcoin? Just go buy Bitcoin. Why do you want to mess around with this behemoth, right? So, and my second rip off the tape is on the CEO pay. I'm going to defend and criticize at the same time. So I think what people need to realize when they see the article in the New York Times and so forth is the pay, the majority of the pay for the CEOs was in the stock. And the stocks, obviously, of these companies have rallied dramatically. So options were restruck at certain prices. They were given grants at certain prices. And yes, the stocks rebounded like everything else in the economy. So why should they benefit from that? Well, if I'm if I'm these companies, maybe what you do is you say, all right, well, this is an extraordinary year for the top management. They've done a great job. Great. I think the CEOs, it's, it's incumbent upon them to maybe send some of their stock into the 401k plan and share it with some of their employees. Obviously, they knew that they were going to get backlash. Obviously, without government support, their stocks never would have done 
what they've done. So hate the game, not the player. And I will say this. You talk about proxy votes and people wanting to vote against. We've talked about this before. Guess what? It's ETFs. So get your ETFs to vote against the CEO pay. It's not going to happen. Everyone that gets the stuff in the mail that they see they're part of an ETF, oh, there's a vote here. You ignore it. No one no one reads that stuff. So there's not enough activism to get this thing changed over time. So anyway, I, you know, it's sickening when you see the headline, but take a deeper look at this. It's not necessarily the CEO's fault. Maybe it's the board's fault for granting all this, but maybe they should be a little bit more equitable with their employees and throw some of the stock in, into the 401k pool. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that's something that obviously should catch a lot of steam. And I think that's something that we're, uh, you know, over the last, let's say, 13 years or so, we've had some major corporate bailouts over the years. Maybe that should be somewhat contingent. And you also think about that tax cut back in 2000 uh, that was enacted in late 2017. There were no contingencies on that tax cut. That was basically borrowing a trillion and a half dollars from the future and handing it to corporations. And what did they do? And over the next two years, they bought back their stock, which actually helps that CEO pay. Hey, while we're doing this little rip off the tape, can I get a little rip off the tape action here, guys? Because I love your brand. All right. So here's here. This is the sort of stuff that really pisses me off. Okay. So here's a headline. Are we allowed to say that? I guess so. You just you're the one who swear. I don't think I've ever sworn on this podcast. I didn't swear. Did I swear? You definitely. You've definitely said a few words that my mom has. You know. And and just so you know, Danny, you're gonna you're gonna hate this. Tell Danny Moses and tell the audience who's your mom's favorite, Dan. My mom's favorite trader on Fast Money is Guy Dami. I don't even think I'm in the top three, but she watches every night I'm on, so that's pretty cool. All right. So let me do my little rip off the tape here. So Wednesday night, Joe Biden does his first, I think, prime time speech. It was his kind of 100-day speech. And, you know, listen, he lays out this American Families Plan and all the headlines. I mean, they've just been like really particularly aggressive about what it really means. Here's one from the Wall Street Journal. On Thursday, Biden's economic plan would redistribute trillions and expand government. And I read a headline like this and I say, what the hell? He referenced last night 635 Americans who are billionaires gained $1 trillion cumulatively in wealth, okay, over the last year during the pandemic. And how would that have been possible unless that the Federal Reserve pumped trillions of dollars into the economy and that our Treasury and Congress enacted trillions of dollars? Well, well, hold, okay? hold on. Before I, listen, I want you to continue to rant, but yeah. Sounds like what Danny Moses and I have been saying. It sounds like President Biden's an off the he's, he's not on the tape guy. It sounds like to me because this is what we've been railing against for forever. But I, I understand. But my point is, is that people want to have it both ways. OK, so the, so what did that headline from the journal say would redistribute trillions of wealth? They're really talking about and there was a great quote that he said, trickle down doesn't work. It's never worked. We have to kind of rebuild this economy and grow it from the bottoms up and the middle out. And I think that's really important. And how do you pay for this stuff? Right. Well, well the Republicans who are supposedly deficit hawks. Right. They were paying for it over the last few years not with the growth, as they said, their tax cuts would pay for themselves, right? They were just tacking it on the deficit. Now, all of a sudden, they care about deficits. And my point is, is that they just want to cut services to lower middle class people and the poor. And that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. So at some point, we got to figure out how to pay for this stuff. And we can't leave the most vulnerable of our society behind. And at this point, there's 20 million Americans. Guy, you say this all the time. For tens of millions of Americans, it feels like a depression here. How are we going to figure out how to solve 
food insecurity in one of the richest countries in the world. And it just, it goes on and on and on. I, I, you know, it just frustrates me. For, listen, for more than 10% of the population, it doesn't feel like a depression. It is a freaking depression. And now, you know, so in this show, we had chickens coming home to roost. And yeah. now you're talking about having to take your medicine. I'm all for it. I'm with you. I'm on board. But you mentioned 100 days. And here, I'm just going to riff just for two seconds. I had to read a book in college. This is now 1983 for those of you playing our home game. A Hundred Years of Solitude by the great Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I know Spencer is nodding his head. Spencer, of course, being our crack producer who graduated early from the Wharton School. Anyhow, I know he's in, he loved that book, as did I. And A Hundred Years of Solitude, it's been about a hundred days of solitude until last night or Wednesday night when Joe Biden came out and gave a just an earth-shattering speech. By the way, it bored the shit out of me, Dan, and I did curse there. But whatever. I mean, I think you're right. His heart is in the right place. His heart is in the right place. I think we all agree. I think this just should be a bipartisan thing to figure out how to get all Americans out on the other side of this pandemic. Danny, one thing, you know, on your Tesla rant or rip off the tape, you didn't mention that he's going to be spending the week practicing to go on SNL, Saturday Night Live. And so it's it's interesting. He's still screwing around on Twitter with these altcoins. Doge is the big one. Do you think there's going to be a Doge trade into SNL? I'm thinking that he comes out in his monologue and he's definitely going to be talking about Doge to the public. What do you think there? I'm very excited so that people out there that think they worship this guy and that he's brilliant watch his performance <laughs> because I can't even picture him saying live from New York at Saturday night he'll probably hand that off to somebody he'll do a couple doge bits I don't think it's going to be funny I think it's going to be very awkward and I, I'm actually shocked one that they're letting him on I don't care about people protesting oh he shouldn't be on he stands for this or that SNL smart they're going to get viewers but like he just insulted Chris Farley we talked about this a couple weeks ago like he went after Farley's cousin the Ford CEO And so that to me, like, I don't know, I wouldn't have done it if I were him. I would have kept him off the show for that alone. But I I don't even know if I'm going to watch it. It'll be awkward. But maybe he'll violate more SEC stuff by talking about things about the company on there. Maybe he'll make fun of himself. You're a cannabis expert, Danny Moses. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is there something you want to tell us? No, I I just want to see him. He's a business expert. Oh, I just thought that now that it's it's decriminalized in New York City, Danny's spending a lot of time here. Do you think he will do the show? What do do we call it? Watch what I do here because I'm very hip. Is he going to come in? Baked. He always seemed baked. He always seems like he's on something. I may be even much more powerful than cannabis, but it'll be interesting. I ain't watching that either, by the way. No, it won't be. Not for me, it won't. Saturday Night Live hasn't been relevant since Eddie Murphy was there. Full stop. So my point is more is that he is the CEO of obviously a $700 billion market cap company. And dropping. He is the CEO of SpaceX. You know, I think there's a couple other things going on. But for him to spend the week practicing to do like six skits that, like you said, are not going to be particularly funny, and I'm not sure really what it does for any of his brands, is that a great use of his time? I guess is my point. The earnings call last week was a skit. It was an hour long skit. Anyone want to listen to it? That should just take that and post that on SNL, which I think it's May 8th is when he's going to be going on. But yeah. All right. But Danny, let's have a quick conversation about this. It's like people ran about the Fed. They ran about Tesla. They ran about a lot of things. That's the people in the market that is, right? And what's really interesting is that it just becomes tougher and tougher, right? The higher that they go, right? And the more that they do here. And it's funny because, you know, Tesla is, you know, 50% of the global auto market cap, right? If you think about it and people keep buying it, they keep buying it, right? And so I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, you know, that this is a play on them changing, as our friend BK says, the, the electrical grid on the planet. No, 
it's a story. And it's almost as if they, if they had real earnings and it got valued off real earnings, the stock would be down 90%. By the way, it would probably still be expensive down at that level. If you really want to get me going here, I mean, Ford, I think, is trading down I want to get you going. off the quarter. That's a chip story. I mean, and by the way, Jim Farley, the great CEO of Ford, is another George. I mean, we're Georgetown grads littered all over the place. I guess the other point that I would say, and, and, and it's interesting because Tesla didn't have problems as it related to chips for all intents and purposes. If you look at their deliveries and you look at the guidance. So I guess my point is maybe they're executing better than people think. I, I just make one last point. You know, I was saying this about the Fed. So you have Fed and then you have modern monetary theory. All right. Modern monetary theory. Then you have Tesla and you have this belief that they're going to go from 1% global market share to, I don't know, 10, 15 or something like that percent. And then you have Bitcoin which is a trillion dollar market cap. So you have these like fairy tales as far as they as far as I'm concerned that exist in the financial markets here that make no sense. Take all of your economics books and your finance books from when you read them back in the day and throw them out the window because these stories don't apply to those. You know, it would be a great name for a horse, Aesop's Fable. Maybe there has been a horse named Aesop. I don't know. And by the way, we should get like Tom Morello on. Isn't he in that Rage Against the Machine band, (laughs) which I know I've never heard a song, but apparently he's this great guitarist. Okay, listen, a couple weeks ago, we had on the great Bob Baffert and Jack Wolf. Thanks to Danny Moses' friendships. Danny is locked in. Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Demo. Give me a freaking horse so I can win a couple bucks. (laughs) Known agenda. Winner of the Florida Derby. Todd Pletcher trained, coming out of the one slot, six to one. I like it. Coming out, wait a minute, hold on. Just so I know you know this, if you're in the one slot in the Kentucky Derby, if you get a bad, see what I'm doing here, bad ride, forget about it. You know, you got no shot. So that horse better had some early speed and get off, get to the lead early. Otherwise, it's got no shot. Am I, am I talking nonsense here or am I on to No, something? you're right. That comes down to the strategy between, you know, trainer and jockey. And these guys have done it before and- I don't know. I like it. I certainly like it to hit the board, which means win, place, or show, for sure. Danny, how many bets will you make on a race like the Derby? Probably like 15, you know, between... Come on. Yeah, between doubles and exactas and trifectas, combinations. But, you know, a box is really six bets. So, you know, a box has six different combinations to it where, there, where there's three horses in there. So, just to be clear. Have you ever gone and made 15 bets on a big race like this and not won one of them? I'm sure, yes, many times. Absolutely. But that's fun. It's entertainment. Still lose it's money. entertainment. I mean, it's, it's, enter- it's entertainment. So, you know, a few years ago, we went to Miami and we went to something called the Evolve Conference, if you rec- I recall, because Miami is a cool place to go to. And I met somebody named Manny Medina. I encourage you folks that are in front of your Google machine to actually use the Google machine and look up Manny Medina. Brilliant man. Great story. There's a horse running. I believe it's a Baffert horse, Danny Moses. Medina Spirit. Medina Spirit. You're gonna get a price on this one, probably anywhere from twelve to fifteen to one. There's your there's your Huckleberry for Saturday, Demo. Medina Spirit. I like it. Well, put those two in an exacta. We'll have the on the tape exacta picks. I like that. You know what? I'm actually gonna I'm gonna bet on this known agenda because one of my favorites, this is a sleeper song. I know Danny is a big Pearl Jam fan from the, the Backspacer album, a song called Unthought Known. Not particularly played um, that often in concert, but one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. So I'm gonna go with the known agenda, unthought known pick. I like that. Well, listen, we didn't go off the tape this week, but that's it. This has been on the tape, which I listen, this hour went by like like that. We just made it through this episode without talking about Bitcoin and without talking about the Fed and the Fed actually did report. So 
Maybe we'll do a break in next week, but I just, I'm proud of us for not mentioning it. That's it. That's on the tape. We ripped off the tape. We ripped off a lot, <laughs> ripped off a lot of things. We gave you a couple horses for Saturday's Derby. If you're listening to this in a podcast store, be sure to hit follow so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on Twitter at On The Tape Pod. I'll see you all next week. Yeah.